You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. I'll have to start off the show this week, Brendan, by admitting that I was wrong. Like LSS with Dustblade, I've, I've made a mistake, Brendan. Mm, how so? Well, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Dynasty Meta, we talked about the first lot of Battle Hardens, and we talked about what we thought, particularly of Guardian. And I said, you know, I think, I think Bravo might be a better pick for this progress season <laughs> than Ultim. Some people probably still think that, which is, you know, it's... It, like I said at the time, I think it's crazy, but um, Bravo actually had a bit of success in the United States. I think that over there you saw a bit of a more clear winner between the two Guardians. Well, the first lot of events, Battle Hardens, ProQuest events, or sorry, PTI events before we got to January, so in December, Bravo did outperform Ultim, or at least on par with, with Ultim. And I think you looked at the meta of Phi, uh, Dash, you know, even Icelander, it looked like Bravo potentially better positioned. Obviously, we're going to talk about Ultima as we get into sort of the chunk of the show. We're going to talk about ProQuest results from week one, and we are going to talk about the third deck and our kind of decks to play for ProQuest. And we're going to talk about Ultima, which is all but dominated. Maybe that's not quite right. Had an amazing first week of ProQuest uh, from results. And anecdotally, we don't have a full breakdown yet. I've heard that someone has access to the full results, and usually Alice has published these you know, a few days after each ProQuest weekend. So we will have those as the week goes on, but you can see it from a lot of the results, especially from the larger events this week. Ultim did very, very well. And uh, yeah, I just want to say, you know, admit when I'm wrong, Brendan, I am wrong on this occasion. Ultim definitely uh, outperformed where I thought it was probably going to sit for this ProQuest season. And I think the biggest thing, I mean, we'll get into it, but I think the biggest thing is just the flexibility of these builds we've seen over the past week. A lot of different iterations of Ultim do well into different metagames because of the tools and access to cards that Ultim has? I just think that Ultim is just literally more powerful than Bravo. Like it has just a bigger toolbox. Um, it has access to ice cards. And it has access to broken cards like Crown of Seeds. It's just, if you were to look at the two heroes, just face up surface level, you have to make a compelling argument to play Bravo. Um, and it can't, for me, it just can't be based off purely results because Bravo has a bit of a gotcha factor, I guess, especially in the meta is like these aggro decks like Fi and Briar. But once people sort of figure out how to play against it better, utilize their armor, blo you know, block with their armor correctly, I think that Ultim just really outclasses Bravo in pretty much every, in every way. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't, I definitely agree. Ultim is definitely powerful, more powerful at a, at a base level. Talented hero, access to a great hero ability, access to card, the card pool, like you say, a wider card pool. Completely agree. I think in testing, even Bravo was performing really well in our testing. Uh, you know, it was a deck that looked like didn't particularly have that many bad matchups. But, you know, Ultim's in a, a very similar vein and I think does a lot of things better. So, anyway, Arsenal Pass, episode 93. We are talking about Ultim this week, final of our three-parter on decks to play for ProQuest. If you want a more in-depth, or I guess... In depth a wider look at decks to play for ProQuest. we did also put up a video uh two weeks ago but yeah ultim week one a bit of a standout so we'll get into that and all things flesh and blood but uh brendan last week in flesh and blood what did you do did you end up playing any events did you play any flesh and blood <laughs> nope <laughs> i uh i sat in my house i tried to play flesh and blood but um 
the ProQuests were all sold out near me. I would have to travel pretty far to play the ProQuest. Uh, I do. My one gripe is that I think a 20-player capped ProQuest makes no sense in one of the biggest cities in the uh, entire world, which is Dallas-Fort Worth. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit hard to have access to a ProQuest here unless you were looking to travel this weekend. Um, I had, you know, we are like one month, kind of four weeks out from marathon preps, so and my, my weekends are are pretty dominated by you know that single long run being around the 15 to 20 mile mark not only does it take about three hours but after i feel like i'm literally dying so um, kind of just chilled this weekend wasn't able to make it into a pro quest yep it's just like dallas is one of the largest cities in the world probably is to be honest it's one of the largest cities in the united states it's got to be up there in the uh in the entire world i would assume right i think sydney's about four times bigger than dallas just so you know. Yeah, so. I don't think I don't think it's number one, but I think it's probably one of the biggest cities uh, in the entire world. Someone's gonna come down the comments and fact check. Yeah, someone's gonna be like, "Yeah, it's a uh, 456." Oh, God. Um, well, I played a pro quest on Sunday, but I also judged a pro quest for the first time on Saturday. So I rocked up to be head judge at a pro quest on Saturday, and there was a 50 player pro quest. I think it was the largest pro quest that we had had in Sydney. Uh, generally because of something you just talked about, which is caps often. So often these pro quests are capped at 32 or maybe 48 players because of size restraints. So this is at a bigger store. They were able to accommodate 50 people. uh, And that was my first experience judging, basically, Brendan, officially judging. So I had a pretty good time. Was a little bit, feeling a little bit nervous when 50 players rocked through the door. I was like, ah, there'd be like 30 players or something. 50 players rocked through the door. Uh, it was just myself judging, which which was fine. It's actually fine. Uh, no, nothing too hairy, nothing too that I couldn't answer. Luckily, don't think I mucked up anything. Had a really good event. It was uh, went to, you know went on time. Everything went well. So the first successful judging experience, I think, and I had a good time. It's definitely you know what. Shout out to all the judges out there judging this pro quest season. It is it is not easy. I hope players understand like being on the other side of it. And I felt like I was on my feet all day. It was hot. I was running around. Um, and you know, sometimes you get hard questions and sometimes players don't agree or feel a bit aggrieved by something that happens during a game or a discrepancy. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not the easiest thing. So just want to shout out the judges out there, you know, respect your, <laughs> your judges in your community and the, the hard work that they're doing because these progress events wouldn't, wouldn't happen without them. So I'm glad I got the opportunity to, to do that from that side. And then Sunday played a pro quest, didn't do too well. I uh, went three, two. And a, again, a capped, like you said, a capped ProQuest, which I think there would have, it would have been another 40, 50 person ProQuest if it wasn't for the store being very, very small and not being able to accommodate more than, I think originally the cap was 28 players and they increased it to 32. Uh, and uh, that, you know, that was that was pushing it. The store was definitely too small for, for that amount of players, even it was very cramped in there. Um, played Briar, went 3-2, lost, do you know I lost to, Brendan, I lost to a Pummel Icelander deck. Mm, so, didn't Nick Butcher also lose to a Pummel Icelander deck? We yeah, lost to, we lost the, the same player, yeah. <laughs> Me and Nick lost to the same player, uh, Nick Butcher. He ended up winning, I think. He won the Saturday event, the 50-person on Ultim. I think he also either won or, or split the finals on Sunday of the next event, again, on Ultim. So, you know, even Nick and, and Sydney as well, just showing how good Ultim is. Um, but we're also going to talk about diversity because our ProQuest had eight different heroes on the Saturday in top eight, and I think the Saturday had six different heroes, which is super interesting. So while the story of the weekend might have been Ice Deck's doing very, very well. The top eight story was just a, probably one of diversity, which we will uh, we'll talk about. Yeah, I saw all kinds of stuff. Saw some Dramai. A lot of Dramai popping up mm-hmm. on my timeline, which is uh, surprising. Some Dramai Irish reality, too. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to, shout out to Howling Minds for... I think he top eighted the, 
the Leeds yeah, ProQuest, which is the large, largest ProQuest today. I think 160 players with Iris Dramai. That's that's very, very cool. And I think Dramai, especially on the Sunday, in a lot of meters around the world, people reacted to the Saturday and the dominance of Ice decks and, and picked up Dramai. And a lot of people were already on that, you know, thinking that there was going to be a lot of Icelander, a lot of Ultim in their meters and picked up Dramai. So, um, you know, this meta looks like it's going to, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, I think I'd be interested to see how this meta evolves over three weeks, given the shorter period of ProQuest season. It looks like it's going to evolve pretty quickly. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Should we get into some news, Brendan? Let's do it. Well, first of all, LSS made us look silly, of course, as predicted. We released, we finished, literally finished recording last week on episode 92. Talked about there being no announcement for ProQuest, uh, for PT1, or this PT Pro Tour for 2023. And immediately, five minutes after we stopped the recording and submitted the recording, Brendan, LSS uh, decided to drop an announcement on us and just make us look as silly as possible. So at least we called it and we told people that we would be made to look silly, probably. Yeah, I mean, it happens literally every time. I think it's because of uh, the nature of us recording on Mondays and Tuesdays. It just comes out right after. I change our recording day, I think. Uh, <laughs> so we do have Pro Tour news. Pro Tour is happening in Baltimore, uh, as dropped by this announcement on the LSS website. It is happening April 27th to 30th. Uh, it is a mix of Classic Instructed and Limited, which I'm super excited about. I really wanted to make sure that I was hoping we'd have Limited, especially with Outsiders releasing not long before the Pro Tour, I was hoping that we would have limited as part of this event. So it is Classic Constructed and Booster Draft as the format. Uh, not much else too different. I mean, we, we haven't seen prize pool or anything sort of released yet. We know from what was talked about in the initial release of uh, OP for 2023 that the prize pool is bigger because this is one PT as opposed to two that we saw last year, but we don't have a full prize breakdown. There is a calling happening as well. The calling is Classic Constructed uh, starting on the Saturday. And as well, of course, there'll be a battle hardened on the Sunday, and I'm sure there'll be, you know, lots of side events, things like that. I guess first thing, Brennan, is, you know, I guess the reaction to the event being in Baltimore wasn't exactly probably what LSS were expecting. It probably wasn't a positive reaction to the location mm -hmm. of the Pro Tour. Let me devil's advocate here, because people were saying a lot of bad things about Baltimore, but I would I would ask if they uh, they had been to San Jose before, because I feel like half the PT got robbed there. <laughs> Just like, yeah, we just need some context. Like, uh, in Baltimore, I've never been there, but surely it's a fine venue. It'll be a fine place to, to have the PT. It's not as exciting as New York. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. Like, I was hoping it would be um, in, New, in New York at the Jersey venue again, just because that's it's a lot cool. It's a lot cooler place for international people to travel to. It's a lot easier to get to, and it's just more fun for us overall. Baltimore is totally serviceable, and I don't feel I don't have any negative feelings towards it. But for all the rhetoric that is passing around on Twitter, it's just like this is just so ironic in the context of we got back from San Jose, and I was consistently meeting people that were robbed or bugged <laughs> during that during that World Championship. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have too much to say on it, really. I, I just observed, like you said, the, the discourse. I mean, my, my only kind of thought when I saw location-wise was I think probably part of wanting to go and play these pro tours for a lot of people, and I think myself included, is the opportunity to go and see parts of the world that you have wanted to travel to but maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to. I mean, on the flip side of that, parts of the world that you wouldn't normally travel to. Uh, I think we covered that off pretty well with Lille, I thought, and not a place that I particularly wanted to go to, but, you know, and, and reasonably enjoyed my time. But I think the the kind of feedback is, you know, PT in Lille, PT in San Jose worlds, uh, and then headed to Baltimore. I, th I think people were expecting somewhere, a location with maybe a little more prestige for, for mm -hmm. travel reasons, um, which, which I understand. And, you know, there's obviously things that come into that with 
contracts and and cost and, and things like that for LSS. Um, I think the other thing for me, the, the big one for me personally, is just ability to get to somewhere like Baltimore. You know, it's not a it's not as much of a hub as somewhere like New York or San Francisco. Um, at least you know San Jose are very close to San Francisco and in proximity there uh so i think for some players it might be a step too far you know for me for instance it'd be like an extra flight to get there i'd have to fly to uh new york or fly via houston to make that work so that is i guess a bit of feedback but but we'll see i think you know overall look we've we've got a pro tour i think we've got uh at a good time coming post outsiders i'm looking forward to that we'll talk about outsiders in a second because obviously we have some information about outsiders as well but uh, we, we do now, you know, before ProQuest starts, people know where they will be qualifying for. They'll know when it is. And I think that's, uh, we, we needed the announcement. So it's good to have the announcement. You know, Hayden, I'll make you a trade. It might not be the most convenient and best location in the United States, but, um, you know, maybe the venue won't be in a tent this time. How about that is that? true. Look, that'll be a Sweeten massive Sweeten the deal, baby. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are taking some big digs here, uh, but I'll adjust. Uh, it's exciting. Um, I think that Baltimore, the my main... My main issue with Baltimore is that I think for some people traveling internationally, the pro tour now becomes um, a question of whether they will be able or will be able to or will be not able to attend because it is a less accessible location. And that is mm. disappointing for me. So I know for people like yourself, Hayden, or like Sasha, like because of the location, it, um, it does be like, okay, maybe we can't make this one because it's not a hub like New York or San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Pro tour announcement. Outsiders, so along with this Pro Tour announcement that happened five minutes after we clicked stop recording, Outsiders information did also drop from LSS and uh, we now know that we have a very interesting set. We have three new heroes and we have uh, a six hero limited format with Azalea returning, Katsu returning and Benji as well as uh, Azuri, a, a new Arachne hero, uh, young Arachne hero and, uh, and Riptide. Mm-hmm. How many cards of, in the uh, in the pack? Well, up for debate, I think. Mm. Sixteen yeah. cards in the pack, Brendan. But uh, how many of those are tokens? Not, yeah. not sure. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. So I'm so for me. I haven't drilled down into it too much, but I can just talk about my hopes. My hopes are that in in limited archetypes come back, uh, like we saw in Tales. Right, you had multiple ways to play a hero. And that felt much more rewarding than uh, Uprising, where it kind of felt like there was just one way to play the heroes. Um, so I really hope that comes back. And the 14-card packs made the draft, uh, the drafting experience feel very narrow in Uprising. And I hope that goes away, whether it's through the hero diversity, through the dual class cards, whatever it is. Um, but I hope we get a, a draft experience similar to Tales, kind of uh, Welcome to Wraith, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's So there's two classes, obviously. There's Ranger and Ninja. There's no talents, so this is a talentless set, which is really interesting because I, I really didn't think that LSS were going to go back to untalented sets so soon. But I think what's really interesting about that is that it features, you know, only two new adult heroes that will be introduced to Class Constructor with this event, uh, with this, with this um, set rather, yeah. in the form of Azuri and and Riptide. So Riptide, Lurk of the Deep, and, Deep, and Azuri Switchblade, Assassin, and a Ranger Hero. These are the only two new heroes uh so sorry I'd, I'd say there was only ninja and range of course there's assassin so arachne as well so so Brent, i'm collecting my thoughts there is six heroes for the limited format of course two ranger two assassin two ninja heroes uh and then two new heroes introduced in the adult form for class constructed it's gonna be interesting to see how the limited format plays out like you say is there gonna be archetypes with 
two of each hero possibly play. Now there is there is dual class cards, uh, but from what I understand, these are only these are the hybrid cards. They're, they're dual class cards. So the one we've seen is Codex of um, of Frailty, which is an assassin slash ranger action. Could be played by either class. Uh, Set is untalented, of course. I believe these are only going to be majestic. These these hybrid oh, cards. Yeah. So then they effectively will not have an impact on draft. Exactly. So, which I thought when I first saw, I was like, "Oh, great, we're gonna have these, you know, these hybrid cards in draft, and that's gonna even open up the archetypes a bit more." So, in theory, you can stay open a bit more with, you know, these these two heroes, but you're gonna be still playing into a class, I guess. But deciding, you know, am I playing this Riptide Ranger or am I playing the Cesalia Ranger build in limited? I think that at least opens up, you know, maybe double what we saw in Uprising. But I guarantee, like the 14 card pack, is it 14 versus 15? Obviously, it's a 16 card pack, but one of those will guarantee be a token. But are we looking like Uprising, it's going to be two cards being a token and only 14 playable cards? Gives me a little bit of pause and concern, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe they do another thing with tokens again, like we saw with Phoenix Flames and, and Heliod's Mitre. Yeah, I wonder if um, I wonder what LSS's retrospect on Uprising Draft is, if they thought it was successful in a good set or if they thought it was uh, unsuccessful. Yeah, I mean... Like, it's definitely it was successful it played a lot We're, to a degree i guess the question is whether they think they need to refine you know or they feel happy with the formula that was used in uprising that's what i really want to know yeah i guess we kind of say the same thing in different words but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more i think about that you know i actually agree with you never <laughs> this is how we agree we just we just uh, repeat each other uh, <laughs> so uprising Coming. The next exciting thing as well that was announced by LSS this week was Fab headed to Japan, Flesh and Blood Japan sort of timeline, which culminates in the end of this year with large OP events in Japan, ProQuest season happening at the end of the year, uh, as well as the Nationals. So Flesh and Blood coming to Japan, obviously they're looking at localization for Japanese language cards as well, which is really, really cool. So look, I hope we get to go and play a calling or even a pro tour at some point soon in Japan when I'm there. I hope so too. Just tell me what I got to say. Tell me what topics I don't need to talk about. Whatever, and I'll sell myself to go to Japan. You tell me what. You tell me what needs to be done. Uh, I've been saying soul. it since we started Arsenal Pass, and I wanted to go to Japan for a fab event. Very cool country. Uh, we also have a gameplay video up, Brendan, that uh, went up last week. You can go check that out. Went after the poll went up last week. The Goliath Gauntlet is happening. That is kicking off this weekend, I believe, with Nine Eight Three Media. Uh, I am playing in that again. Looking forward to my match. It's a very good match. I've already played my match, my Ramon match. I'm looking forward to it being on, on camera. Uh, I will say, if you saw Goliath Gauntlet Season 1 and you saw my Ramon match, this one is more enjoyable if you are... Uh, well, it depends who you're rooting for, I guess. If you mm. dislike me a lot and you want to see me get absolutely destroyed, go and look at Goliath Gauntlet Season 1. Uh, this match is somewhat closer, which is nice. <laughs> I was going to say, very debatable on the uh, more enjoyable comment. It's true, it's true. Uh, <laughs> I want to shout out to all of the Arsenal Pass patrons and if you do want to become a Patreon this month if you join our $4 tier which is our base tier you get access to all of our content on Patreon this month including the deck techs that are going up uh, there is a deck guide going up soon because Brennan's just done a deck tech with Brody Spurlock on Briar that guide will be going up this week with the video if not already up by the time this, this pod drops as well as the other videos we've done this month including Dash and, and uh, whatnot. Brennan I think that's I think that's the news we got there. If, uh, if you're listening to this, there was a lot of edits in that news because I can't talk properly, apparently. Commander Cookout this week, Brendan. <laughs> no Commander Cookout this week, actually. But if you do want to get your questions in, submit them to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Drop them in the comments below on YouTube. You can DM us on Twitter. Uh, you can, you know, write us an email, uh, a, a 
snail mail at Legend Story Studios. <laughs> Auckland, New Zealand. No, I don't know. You can submit your questions. And you better freaking subscribe to the YouTube channel. Oh, there you go. While you're down there. We're going to talk progress results, though, instead of the Commander Cookout question this week before we get into the main topic of the pod. So we are talking Ultim in the main topic of the pod, but I think we're going to talk a little bit of Ultim right now because we're going to talk about some progress results from the weekend. And I just want your first kind of, obviously, you, you said you didn't play a progress, Brendan, but you've, you know, you've been on Twitter, you've seen kind of the discourse, you've seen anecdotally the results from the weekend. You I mean, you've seen definitely seen the results from the larger events, including Battleheart in New Jersey and Battleheart in Leeds, as well as the largest ProQuest. What are your what are your kind of just first initial thoughts and takeaways from this week one of ProQuest season? What are the highlights or the headlines for you rather? So it's very diverse, right? We see a lot of these top eights like, oh, we got eight different heroes, six different heroes in top eight. Um, I think a lot of people will immediately assume that means the game is very good and very healthy. I'm not saying it's not, but uh, diversity does not necess- necessarily mean a good meta. Um but it does look good. I had a lot of people reach out to me and be like, oh, this is great. I got to play Bolton and hit top eight, by the way. That was Steven from Team Covenant. It feels <laughs> like he can finally play the game playing his uh, his trash tier heroes. But uh, I'd say week one, looking at the results, looking at the heroes, uh, the hero spread, um, and just the general sentiment, it's optimistic. I'd be, I would say I, I come out optimistic uh, for the health of this class constructed meta currently. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say diverse because that was kind of my... T- I mean, so I was pl- I was judging at one of the first ProQuests around the world because of time zones here in Australia and eight different heroes in our ProQuest Top 8. The meta was very, very diverse. I don't think a single hero had, what's that, more than 13% of the meta share. I think uh, Dash was the most played or fired our ProQuest and it was like 13%, 14% of the field. Awesome. Great start, right? Eight different heroes in Top 8. Was look at you know thought this looked this looked great. What a great start to ProQuest season. You know uh, my testing started to show that the field was a lot more narrow than I think I thought it would be. Some decks just didn't seem that viable um, because of the strength of of heroes like Ultim, Icelander, Fi. And then I think what's interesting is you get to the end of that first day of ProQuest and you see Battleheart and Leeds, and it's just only Icelander and Ultim in the top eight. <laughs> Yeah, which which makes sense because it's a you know it's not it's 160 170 players it's mm-hmm. not capped you have more it's a more sort Eight of rounds. real test yeah it's a more real test for what actually rises to the top in a competitive tournament like yeah. to be honest a 20 player or you know 30 player tournament in some whatever location is not a good reflection of the meta it's like if you take like 10 of those and you aggregate them like maybe you kind of do but if you're really looking for res- data to sort of dissect how you expect the meta to shift over the next few weeks i think the the first place you should look is Balharden or yeah. leads yeah yeah you're right i mean you know a 20 player pro quest in a small town like dallas for instance you know <laughs> yeah, <it's>, uh, exactly <laughs> uh so i guess my kind of first thoughts on this just fast forwarding through the weekend and seeing ultim win a lot of events battle hardened in New Jersey was an Ultim mirror match in the final, was an Ultim mirror match in the final, and Leeds as well. I think, like you say, these larger events, the meta doesn't look too dissimilar, I think, to Worlds, which is really interesting in terms of once you... So I do think, yes, the meta has opened up at a at a, at a grassroots level and has opened up at a, a ProQuest level, like you say. I think once you get to battle-hardened, to events beyond you know that sort of the top end of tier, tier two and up, it looks a lot less diverse, and we saw that over the weekend. We saw the dominance of ice decks in particular, but I do also think ice decks are just 
really great picks if you expect a really wide meta you know if you expect a lot of aggro decks and a lot of different variations of aggro decks and you expect a lot of decks that just kind of want to you know do their thing or this this random deck shows up ultim is also really good into a lot of those decks which we'll talk about so i'm not surprised to see icelander and ultim do well and then decks that uh maybe the stronger of the aggro decks so the fires the maybe even the briars of the world be taken down by not just potentially something like icelander but also other decks that are specifically coming in targeting bravo for instance you know bravo's mm-hmm. showing up and being like i'm here to beat fires and then running into ultims for instance playing guardian mirrors and, and struggling in that department so yeah really interesting first week i'm really looking forward to seeing the data i think the meta is going to show really diverse in the spread of of what's being played at these events so i think even more so than we've ever seen before at ProQuest. every ProQuest season we've had we've had a, a one or two decks that have been quite dominant in their representation even just in the meta spread you know think chain think um prism in season two but i i don't think we're going to see that to this degree which is is really interesting uh so i disagree i think that the meta will converge rapidly as soon as the first data article comes out um and people can sort of net deck what's winning um i think that the meta will converge drastically like i don't think we'll see these eight eight different heroes in top eights anymore i think that most people that are on these sort of tier two uh, decks and picks that are seeing mild success will uh, might switch over to like a, a tier one old him or something like that whatever's performing the best I, like we we're looking at week one i think that this this class constructed meta is you have the most ability to play whatever you want but there still are some decks that are a cut above the rest and coming off of worlds um, I think that, you know, with Dynasty coming out, like this was the weekend that people were just going to pick up the deck they want to play, try out some new cards, et cetera, et cetera. And as soon as LSS releases the data, um, which they should on week one soon, soon I think that we're going to see that convergence to that two or three quote unquote top decks. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that we're not going to see some convergence, but you got to remember there's only three weeks of ProQuest and what dynasty has brought is tools for other i, I just don't think it's going to be to the same degree we've seen for ProQuest season one and ProQuest season two this this convergence on top decks because you look at ProQuest season one by the time we got to week three and the amount of chain being played and the amount of chain winning i think chain was like 50 percent of the ProQuest wins in week three like or even more like we're, we're not I, I just don't think we're gonna we yeah i mean i, I don't think yeah. i don't think we're gonna see it I, I would put money on the fact that we're not going to see that same convergence on heroes i think the top eights are still going to look more diverse than they did in progress season one progress season two because at a progress level it, i think we've we've seen wins like over the past weekend and again anecdotally but they're they are wins you know is briar's winning kano's winning uh you know people winning with ultim i'm uh, sorry with bravo like people are winning with not just the decks that uh, ultimate icelander and yes, I agree there will be some conversions, but I don't think it's going to be to the to the level we've seen in previous ProQuest seasons. Yeah, we also don't have just that one broken deck, which we've had pretty much every other Correct. season, right? We had Chain, and then we had Starvo, I believe, was the other ProQuest season where those decks were just like pretty sure it was Prism. It was pr- Prism, I think. Was it Prism? Maybe Starvo was the road to national season, but there definitely was yeah. a season where Starvo was just like disgusting. I- I'm pretty sure it was ProQuest, actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Maybe the prison was. was road to national season. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you are. I can't remember. Yeah, I think you're right. It was, yeah, those three decks in succession. Um, I mean, Viscerai was also very good in that that ProQuest season as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, ProQuest season two, because Scalata was still around at that point for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Like you say, data's going to be released. We'll see. There will definitely be some conversions to what 
degree that will be will be also very interesting to see uh i mean what is your kind of thoughts on ice decks and like is is ice too good um i don't know i just think that if you were going to approach a somewhat unknown and open meta and we've been saying this on the pod for the past couple weeks i think that value decks are the way to go and that's what oldham and icelander are they're decks that are just they're good in a vacuum, right? They're not trying to just pull off some sort of combo. They don't They don't have some ultra-specific linear strategy they can adapt. Their game plans are somewhat dynamic. And generally, their cars are just, you know, they're getting higher value than their opponents turn to turn. So I think mm-hmm. that those are extremely safe picks uh, in a diverse and somewhat unknown meta. Yeah, they really prey on the fact that currently in this, no, this meta, there's no... Setup decks have really been muted, I would say, in terms of what we've seen from previous formats you know there's no sonata skill out of a sorry deck um you know maybe you've got you've got kano but it's not a particularly favorable meta for kano if there's a bunch of icelander and dash running around uh, and there's not a lot of i guess other setup decks like maybe maybe you know heroes like reinar could could thrive in this format but there's still gonna be a lot of fire around there's still gonna be a reason amount of aggro decks played so i'm really interested to see so proquest is gonna be interesting but i'm also Curious to see what happens at the next Battle Hardened that we have, the next sort of, you know, high-level event that goes beyond ProQuest. What's the reaction to an Ice meta? What is, how do people respond to that? Uh, because right now, I'm not quite sure what it looks like, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, why don't we get in and talk about Ultim some more, talk about the main topic of the pod. So over the past few weeks, or two weeks, in fact, we've talked about Fly and Icelander as decks to play in this ProQuest season. We've gone deep on them, talked about all things, you know, reasons to play them, reasons to not play them. Maybe you want to try and attack these heroes at your pro quest, what you should or shouldn't do, and uh, what these decks are, are currently looking like in this meta. Let's talk about Ultim, because Ultim is one of the decks that's sort of evolving, I think, a lot, and is obviously seeing a lot of success. So what happened to Ultim, and why is it dominated in week one? <laughs> Let's talk about what just what just makes it so good. And what's, and what's the... Actually, first of all, what's the change from the World Championship, Brendan? Like, you know, was no Ultim in top eight, to all of a sudden dynasty comes out no new cards in theory for for ultim but we see you know a pretty dominant performance in week one for ultim what like what makes ultim so good right now post the world championships well there was ultim and pape and Morales, i believe um and i, I don't think was not it? much changed right yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure right because it was uh yeah the first game i cast was actually an ultim um was it vietfam was on ultim he's an icelander on icelander so it was Maybe it's the person he's playing against. But I'm pretty sure there was Ultim um, in the top eight. But I think that Ultim is just this kind of the same deck. <laughs> and that's just... And it's really powerful. Uh, like, the the biggest question for me when it comes to Ultim is, like, can you win the Icelander matchup? Because it's sort of been flip-floppy between... You know, the Icelanders think it's ultra-favored and some Ultims think it's ultra-favored. Um, and I think we've seen more of a 50-50 split at this point with Ultim squeaking it out against Icelander. And if you can do that, I just think that Ultim is kind of broken in terms of its hero ability, access to talent cards, and access to crown of seeds. It also does quite a few things. So when you sit down in front of an Ultim, it's you don't immediately know the strategy, right? How many pummels are they playing? Like that's very important information, but it's not uh, immediately clear, right? People play, you know, they play just the red ones. They play six, uh, you know, six pummels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, they can be going wide with things like Rousey Ancients. There's just so many strategies that Ultim can play, and I think that Ultim is a deck that can also adapt to its opponent's strategy and play you know, more defensive, can play more aggressive. And you find this... It becomes really apparent in the Icelander matchup where the Ultim can 
turtle up on you if they figure out that you've run out of your combo pieces uh, or that you won't be able to combo them at some point. But if they see you setting out frost hexes and trying to set up the game, really, they can really put on the pressure. And I think that that's what makes Ultim such a good deck. Yep. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, Wisley, Wisley Dong top edit with Ultim yeah. at Worlds, which I completely forgot. Sorry. So, one Ultimate Worlds. But I think the, the biggest change in the shift of Ultim post Worlds is the deck list. They look a lot different. Like, the deck list that I've seen have a lot of success this weekend look very different to what Wesley played at that event. I think Wesley's list in particular was geared towards playing into, I guess, a field. He had a lot of go wide elements, right? So he played cards like Out Muscle, Zealous Belting. I think he was looking at matchups. He played Choke Slam and I think Crush the Week as well. I think he played all of those. I think he was really looking towards what, you know, was a, a fire meta and uh, a potential mirror meta to a degree. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing Ultimates play cards like Hypothermia. They're playing a lot of the 6 for 10, so Thunderquakes and Glacial Footsteps Reds. And they're trying to, you know, people are calling this like Ice Aggro Ultim almost. You know, these de- this deck mm-hmm. is just like super proactive that we're seeing a lot of this weekend. We did also see a lot of defensive builds. I know uh, in the US, a couple of pro quests were picked up. And even in the Battle Hardened Top 8s, there were these more defensive lists, which were, you know, I think thinking about the mirror, expecting Ultim to show up as well. Um, so I think that is kind of the, the shift. And I just think people have just sat down and focused on the Icelander matchup more. You know, I, I think they've just understood how to play into Icelander more. They've understood about the dash matchup. Like, if you were to say two or three months ago, hey, there's going to be a bunch of dash and Ultim, which is going to do better in that in the matchup playing against each other, you probably would have thought, you know, traditionally dash pretty pretty reasonable to Ultim, but you can't build dash to be both good against aggressive decks and Guardian. In, in my experience, I think a lot of people are finding that. So a lot of people are trying to play a hybrid build, which then struggles into, into Ultim with, you know, this aggressive sort of package they have. They can actually race you or even end up fatiguing you potentially once you get to the end game that's kind of where i see that the shift and change post-world championships these decks i think hypothermia in these in these lists is, is doing wonders for them into a meta full of these sort of aggro decks like briar and dash though yeah i <clears throat> i also think that the deck um it's just it's just more of the same from this hero. This hero literally since its inception. Um, once Prism Rotate out of the meta, it's it's just a top deck. Like it's one of the best decks in the game. It can do multiple things very very well. Like Oldham probably isn't going anywhere until we get you know uninteractive hero like Prism again or um, Living Legend. Legends itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, like it's just it's it's a great freaking hero. Yeah. Which might happen. You know, we might get to Living Legend before before that. So when we talk a little bit about history quickly. It is really interesting because when I looked through what the sort of achievements of Ultim were and, you know, Ultim's had a pretty tough time in the meta. You know, it's never it's never actually been the super dominant deck before. Uh, you look at, so Ultim came on the scene with Monarch, of course, and when it burst onto the scene, Briar was kind of the deck to beat. Like Lightning Briar was showing up at the national season and then Michael Hamilton brings it to Orlando, wins the calling with Ultim. It has some success towards the later half of that national season um but I, I think from memory only wins a couple of nationals you know it's not it's not sort of doing as well as sticks like briar or even you know prism wins a lot of a few nationals at the end of that season as well and then we get to pt1 and it, unfortunately it's seen as the inferior garden guardian because starvo shows up you know we've got uh this this boogeyman at pt1 so you know ultim is somewhat there but pretty minimal compared to starvo and then we head into pt2 um and it was seen as the answer to the aggro potentially, but held back by by Prism. You know, Prism had not Living Legend in Lille. 
it's interesting. I you look at the top sixteen of Lille, and there was four Ultims in the top sixteen of of Lille, but none in yeah. top eight. <laughs> well, it's crazy. Some of the, the story of some of those Ultims too, and like how many prisms they dodged up until up until the last, last round. rounds. When it yeah, ends, yeah. yeah. That it seriously was like a big gem, like a, a big gem roll for a lot of them. Like I remember talking to some old hymns that were going into, going into late day two that literally hadn't played a prism and were just like watching the tables closely to hope that they just kind of died out. Yep, and in the end, a lot of them in the last two to three rounds end up playing into prisms and you know crunch spots, and we end up with a number in the top sixteen, but not in top eight. And then worlds. So this is probably the time that we've seen Ultim be the most i guess viable and talked about you know there was this big debate heading into worlds about fire versus ultim like what is that matchup who is the the dominant player in that matchup and what are we going to see happen at worlds in the end like you say one one ultim makes it into the top eight at world championships but dominated by fire and and icelander that kind of the story of that class constructive ended up becoming icelander and and fire and ultim to i guess to a degree sort of seen as struggling in that event until we get to progress season three and while obviously week one you know it's kind of ultimate time to shine ultimate icelander really kind of define week one of progress season three and we'll see what happens as we move forward but let's talk a little bit about why play ultimate strengths i think the one thing right now that's really propelling ultimate and we've seen it over the past over the past weekend is just the the flexibility there's many ways to build these ultimate decks and especially considering how diverse these metas are, which we just talked about, you can really target meta games, or you can play a deck that can kind of hedge. You know, you have this really strong base, like you talked about, it's a powerful hero. You can play these more ice aggro decks. You can play these more defensive. You can even tweak for certain matchups and and play tech cards. I know people are playing cards like Imperial Warhorn over the weekend uh, into heavy sort of dash uh, metas, for instance, to try and you know effectively fatigue their dash opponent by killing off their items and playing Remembrance as well. I guess the, the one thing as well with this is like the aggro above rate nature of the damage and the disruption package. You just pair both. It kind of like Icelander has this a little bit right with now the Bullander build where you're like, okay, I play these two for eights, these two for sevens, and then also have the disruption package, Hypothermia's, Channel Lake Frigids, Frostbites, etc. And then Ultim has that with some of these similar cards. Doesn't get quite the same economy of scale with a card like Channel Lake Frigid having to play it on its own turn or Hypothermia, but also has access to the Ultim defense reaction you know, to Ice React, to Earth React. Uh, I'd say Ice React is one we're seeing a lot more than Earth React right now. Uh, yeah. Most most lists look like they're pretty light on Earth cards with, you know, Pulse being banned. But the Ice React we're seeing, you know, be impactful quite a lot. When I think about the most powerful cards in Flesh and Blood in a vacuum, uh, a lot of them are in the Ultim deck. And I think that that propels it. It gives the deck a lot of success, right? Things like Winter's Whale, Crown of Seeds, uh, is it Pulse of Eisenloft, the Shield, whatever it's called, um, um stalagmite you mean or yes yeah, like yeah yeah so like a lot of those cards are just in the old him deck and then when i think about the most powerful hero abilities in the game like old him is probably number one if not very close and Kano. yeah i mean it's, it's just hard to beat that i mean Kano, yeah i mean kano is good in a vacuum but i think that old him's old him's hero ability is just so disgusting in the context of how good the deck is considering yeah, just how the ice cards they're so disruptive versus your aggressive opponents but they're fully functional outside of just using them for the hero ability uh, it just gives the deck so much so much range and it's such a diverse diverse way to play game to game yeah that's something we've seen with these deck lists i think they've refined so you know i remember we saw lists at some point with like 18 19 ice cards and they really you know wanted to lean into the ice but a lot of those cards block too and there's been this these lists look a lot more refined where they're playing 
10 to sort of 13 ice cards, you know, maybe 9 to, yeah, 9 to 14 ice cards. And they're playing just better quality cards overall because of it. Because they're not having to play all these ice two blocks that don't really do much. You know, they're playing ice two blocks and they're impactful cards. They're playing cards like Hypothermia, maybe some number of Winter's Bite. Or if they card, you know, it's Blizzard. These cards are super impactful outside of where you could mm-hmm. get punished for defending with them. You can actually play them and have an impact on the board like a Hypothermia or a Blizzard. And they're not playing too many cards that you crown into and end up having to like downtrade. Because one of the things that was happening for a while with, with Crown of Seeds, and this is a, something I want to point out, is often people would crown a Seeds something away and then end up effectively like turning their three defense card into a two defense card because they pitch their like Terra Sunder or whatever for Crown and then uh, Ram's Head. And now all of a sudden their blue is only doing two defensive work, you know, uh, unless mm-hmm. there was a, a piece of Naurin to be used, which, you know, obviously we saw with Chain and Briar, et cetera. But often, you know, people were crowning to try and filter their hand and then turning their three blocks into two blocks effectively. But I think when now you have a lot of less two blocks as well, or the two blocks are doing a lot of work, I think that really helps what these ultimates look like. But yeah, I agree. Crown of Seeds, I mean, obviously just super, super powerful, like one of the most powerful pieces of equipment in the game. Um, and I think these lists, are, again, also leveraging this crown a lot better people are using crown a lot less as well they're using it at the right times and not just using crown you know people are actually playing cards out of arsenal and these ultimate decks a lot more which i think is something that's really important you know they're they're sitting up their glacial footsteps they're sitting up their their cnc until they draw into their pummel and they're not they're not just crowning the stuff away to um you know to to filter through and draw through that is sometimes really really relevant and super helpful but sometimes you know i've got the cnc i'm waiting for the pummel to disrupt my opponent because that play is really really impactful or I will use the crown to draw through into my most impactful cards in the matchup. That's the other thing I think isn't talked about with crown is that it really speeds you through your deck, right? It does something similar to what Kano does with Tomes. You just get to your best cards in your deck with crown. So I'm looking for hyper uh, channel like frigid in this matchup, crowning through, you know, once per turn, finding this channel like frigid. I'm looking for the disruption element with pummel. I'm looking for my fused attack to finish the game like a glacial footsteps. And crown seeds not only works on the defensive side, but works on the offensive side to help you find these cards. Yeah, I think Oldham also just doesn't really have any bad matchups or mm-hmm. just any atrocious matchups in the meta, and it's a good place to be. <laughs> it's just period. Uh, like, there's a lot of decks you can bring to a pro quest that you're just like, man, I really don't want to get paired into this or get paired into that. Oldham is just not one of those decks that feels like you have some very favorable matchups, then you have some ones that are closer to 50-50, and then maybe one that tips into the to slightly out of your favor, but it's just so well-rounded. Yeah, even Dromai is not that bad. I mean, the onus is on the Dromai to play that match really well and, you know, have the game plan sorted. And, you know, while it might be unfavored for Ultimate, it's not a tro- It's not Prism, right? It's definitely not Prism, which is, is really important. So uh, I agree. Good matchup spread. And you can also tweak and tune for your meta as well. You know, if you are expecting a lot more aggro decks, you can go to some of the, you know, maybe you're expecting a lot of fire. You can go to these cards like, like Crush the Week, for instance, um, if you need to. You can, you know, expecting a lot of dash, you can go to warhorn plus remembrance for example um i guess on that though the other thing you know we usually talk about what matchups you're looking to play into what are your favorable matchups ultim doesn't necessarily on the flip side of that while it has you know fewer poor matchups it doesn't necessarily have matchups where you're like i want to sit down and cross from this you know the matchup spread is a lot tighter it's a lot closer to a lot of 60 percent matchups you know you're not really getting these blowouts not not free wins like you would get with other decks per se you know um did you do you disagree? I mean, I probably Katsu is probably in there as a deck that you want to play into every single round if you could, I guess. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, and I'm speculating here because I haven't played this too much, but I assume that you would want to play against uh, the Bravos, like the other Guardians, if mm-hmm. your deck has a defense reactions. Like, you probably just outclass 
uh, Bravo deck that's teched for Phi just in a disgusting manner, I would assume, unless they high roll you. But I mean, this has been kind of a, you've seen this in the olden mirror for a while, like, you know, or at least in the guardian, I guess it was the thing in the Starvo mirror too. It was like the ones that would bring the, the extra staunches, you know, the extra defense reactions, like it just gave them such an edge against some of these other guardian decks. And it feels like the old just have that slotted into the, the deck almost naturally where the Bravos don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you also, you just have access to these attacks like glacial footsteps. You just have, you know, beyond rate attacks that work well off your blues, your winter's whale is still a pretty relevant weapon. Um, you have the react, like you say, the, the inbuilt ability. Plus then you just have some of the disruption elements as well. And, you know, pulverize, if you pro playing that in your list, that's great into the mirror as well. So, you know, I think you can build for the guardian matchup. Again, I think you can build to make the matchups better and better uh, with your ultimate deck. It just depends on what you expect in your meta. Um, I think Viserai traditionally is, is pretty, pretty strong for ultimate as well especially with these current builds i think those are the sort of builds you want to play into to viscerai uh i guess avoiding ultim i mean if you're looking for free wins like ultim is not the deck to play that is that is one thing to note like if, if you are looking for you know to show up and, and get some free wins or you want to you know have the ability to high roll ultim is not the deck like ultim doesn't really have a high roll you know outside of just chaining together some amazing pummel turns at the start of a game um you don't you know you don't have channel heroics you don't have uh you know art of war turns plus pouncing links turns to just blow your opponent out that is not that is not the deck ultimas uh you do need to i think you do need to understand your matchups you have to have the plan that is one of the things that if you don't then it's a it's a reason to not play ultim for sure yeah, it's definitely not like starvo and it's it's not like fine <laughs> since you're just gonna run you're gonna well, yeah you're just gonna run over some of your opponents i think that ultim also has a stigma of being a little bit boring to be honest uh that's obviously subjective to the player, but if you are used to playing your Briar deck or your Phi deck and now you're on Oldham, yeah, it might be a little stale, to be honest. I, I think that if you enjoy player agency and you enjoy feeling like you're in control of the game and you're, you're not, you don't want to be playing a fatigue deck, like Oldham is a great example of that. It's a value-oriented deck and it can um, kind of change its game plan up to it based on what it's opponent to. It can be aggressive, it can be defensive, and you know, ultimately it is just kind of a mid-range deck at this point. I agree. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I think it's these lists. Personally, I find a lot more enjoyable to play. You know, playing these big attack actions, cycling through for particular cards in a matchup, having a game plan. You know, um, having some changeability with your weapon. I, I enjoy playing these these builds of Ultim a lot more than previous builds of Ultim. I think um, a bit more proactive. I feel. I I really like it, to be honest. I think it's it's not only is, is, are these builds really good, but I do think they're enjoyable. But I do think you have to understand your matchups and have your game plans because also heading into week two, people are going to be testing into Ultim. They're going to come with plans to counter, especially these more popular builds, uh, these ice sort of proactive ice builds, if you want to call them. Um, yeah, I think the mirror is also tough, right? Yeah, for sure. You're technical. Yeah. You've got to understand. That's definitely a downside. Like that. That's a that's a big downside. Like if you're if you're expecting like a meta convergence onto old him, and you're looking to pick up the deck to capitalize on it, maybe being the quote unquote best deck, but you just get absolutely mollywopped in all the mirrors. Like that's a huge downside. So yeah, technical mirror, just kind of like the Icelander downside. Like if you if you're expecting to go be playing all old him mirrors it's like maybe it's not the deck for you to be honest or you're just gonna have to get a lot of practice in because the skill skill ceiling is very high i do think it's less punishing than icelander you know you do have a bit more uh you can make a few more mistakes i guess or your your lines of play don't compound as much as they can with with icelander you know you put the wrong card in your arsenal icelander that can be sort of game over for you it's not not the same with with ultim but yeah you you know you're the matchups you're probably going to expect to play 
the, for the next two weeks in ProQuest are not easy matchups. You know, it's Altamir, it's Icelander, it's Dramai. People are going to respond with Dramai over the next couple of weeks. Those matchups are tough. You know, you need to understand the game plans in those. So I do think that is a, a bit of a downside to Ultim. If you do, you understand those and you have the time to go and practice them or you just understand them already, then Ultim is still going to remain a fantastic pick, I think, for the next two weeks. Um, anything else? I mean, how it can be attacked. Let's talk about this. I guess one thing that we've seen with Icelander in particular and to Ultim is that the attack actions helped a lot into this matchup because of just raw numbers right now these were ultim builds that were maybe not playing these six for tens now ultim is doing that thing as well where it's playing above rate a little bit to a degree by playing you know three card ten attacks as opposed to you know maybe three card eight or nine attacks now we're seeing endless winters make it into the deck which you can play off tunic for two card eights as well so i do think if you want to attack ultim one of the ways that we've seen in the past is play more efficient numbers you know you can and and have bigger turns you could see something like this with with briar in particular channel heroic turns are the scariest turns by far and away for ultim it's the turns that are so crucial to the briar versus ultim matchup i think the matchup is really 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 interesting um and you know as well the other probably the other thing is just damage over and above what they can potentially block out or present back so you know decks with rosetta thorn particularly briar for instance are, are good for that um but there's there's other decks out there as well i think you know into these more proactive builds they don't care about being put on the back foot as much i guess in terms of or not being able to defend rather as much you know previously we saw reinar be a really good pick into ultim because you know you took away their agency to come back and use their their hand efficiently so previously they might have you know played a lot of defense reactions and wanted to be able to use their hand efficiently maybe come in with weapon and block with four cards and you would allow them to not do that now we're seeing these decks go you know, block with one card, come in with an attack for 10. So I do think players need to pivot a little bit to look at just how you can just outvalue that. And I think some of these aggro decks that can go bigger uh, are ways to potentially go to do that. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if the Icelander decks uh, added more combo cards, if they would have a better matchup against these, these newer old him lists, um, if they were built a bit more defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you could pack, if you could have a package in the Icelander deck that would prevent the old him from going over the top, right, and just killing you outright, and you could play a more methodical game plan that also has things like freezing points, maybe the weather fanes back in there, just more combo oriented and have close to inevitability against the old him deck. It, it's it's just a question of if they can kill survive. you through, yeah, yeah kill you survive. Through. Yeah. The additional, like if you added additional D-reacts and uh, additional disruption, would that be enough to just be, have like a full combo sideboard, just devoting more, more cards um, in the deck to having this, uh, this combo game? Well, Ultima is doing the thing that we talked about last week with Icelander. What's the way to be Icelander? Go tall. That, that is what Guardian can do and do really well. And we're seeing more of these red big attacks being played because they do it really well. And it's not something that Icelander can, you know, it nullifies Icelander's response with, you know, so zealous belting out muscle. These cards are not good into Icelander. That's how you turn on Icelander's disruption. But just playing your first attack, you know, the first card you turn for your turn that gives no priority window to Icelander with this this ten damage attack is is really really strong. So, what's the inverse of that? Well, immovable is a card that becomes a lot higher in value as well. You know, now you have your own two for eight on the defensive side to combat this. So, I I do think if people are looking at ways to defend against these bigger attacks now a card like unmovable becomes a lot more valuable than it was prior to this pro quest season for instance with different ultim builds with less ultim in the meta um you know i, I think that is a card that is rising in value 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. Permanence, that's the last thing, you know, if you are looking at ways to attack. Traditionally, permanents have been really good. Now, is this going to be enough? I'm not sure. I think defensive dash builds are still going to have a good time into Ultim. Decks that can survive through this sort of onslaught of what of what Ultim is throwing at you with these big attacks and being able to amass these items. If you're trying to play the hybrid build, I just it just at the moment doesn't look like there's enough about it because you have all these cards for your aggro build that you have to then play some or side out and you just don't have enough defense reactions plus you just can't get yourself enough time to set up these items or by the time you set up these items you just don't have enough cards left in deck because you've been trading inefficiently you've been blocking with three cards on their attack for nine you've lost three cards for their one attack and then by the time you get through to your second third cycle you just you just have no cards left in deck so i I do think you know if you can't fit in some number of unmovables and stuff like this into your dash deck uh plus whatever else i think you're gonna you're gonna struggle yeah, so if the meta was 90% old him, I'd probably play a defensive dash deck, right? Uh, d- dash control. Full control, yeah. Yeah, I'd play full control because it, it totally dunks on old him. But you just can't play that deck into a meta that has aggro decks running around or has like even other mid-range decks like you would struggle. Like there was, um, so I remember back when uh, Battle Hardened Dallas, this last Battle Hardened Dallas, like old him was performing really well. And I remember T. Tebow had brought a super defensive dash deck um there's some other players on the on the list but i their name escapes me at this point uh and they were just destroying these old hymns i remember michael fang was just complaining about it to me because he was like how can they justify bringing this because it just it auto, it was auto losing to five basically yeah at that point um so yeah i mean if if old him does rise as the the best deck and it becomes you know very convincing and most of the meta is on it i think you can consider that defensive dash deck but outside of that the deck is just it's too weak to the to the other things that might be floating around at your tournament. Yeah, and I think we've got. I think the the reason Dash is not done well this weekend because it hasn't. You can look at the um, the data is going to back this up. I'm more certain of it. You can just see it from the results already. But the reason Dash hasn't done as well is because I think people are stuck in this middle ground. They're trying to do both, and unfortunately, it just I just don't think Dash right now can do both. I don't think you can have a package that gives you enough game into ultim and also does the thing you want to be able to do into the fires the briars the mirror matches so i do think people just have to make a decision dromai is the other one right dromai is the other mm-hmm. deck that is a potential way to attack ultim i do think though know, you need the reps on dromai like again these these decks are quite high skill cap so if you want to pick dromai as a counter to ultim you have to test you have to understand and play that matchup otherwise um you know the ultim's guarantee have been doing it on the other side learning that matchup and it's not an easy one to play yeah yeah uh what do you think about i guess ultim decks in this meta so we talked about a few different iterations these ice aggro decks these proactive ice decks these control ultim decks we saw both over the past weekend depending on what people metas look like both had success uh do you think there's a particular way forward in this or do you think it's just gonna be meta dependent ultim's flexibility at the end of the day is a strength of the hero right yeah so for me if i was going to approach uh week two of ProQuest. Um, as a as a player that was looking towards Icelander, I would look for ways to tech my Icelander deck um, against the Oldham deck. My first my first approach would be to um, add in more combo cards or maybe some more defensive cards. Maybe I'm adding my own unmovables into the Icelander deck because ultimately the Icelander combo it doesn't just it doesn't just happen randomly, right? You, you pitch stack it, so those those unmovables should not dilute your deck to a to a 
to an extent that it affects that that end game combo plan. So I'd look to add things like the unmovables, add more defense reactions. I would potentially add freezing points if I think if I thought I needed more reach on the actual combo damage output I was getting. Right? If I thought that um, I wasn't going to get enough poke damage out through the entire through the uh, early and mid game, and I needed my combo to potentially OTK them, I would add those cards in. And yeah, that that would be how I would approach it from the point of view of an Icelander player. I would give up equity in the aggro matchups, you know, maybe the dash matchup, which was probably one of the worst matchups for the Icelander deck um, in order to tech more towards the ultim. Cool. And then in terms of my question. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought that what was you, your question. No, but that's great. That's actually, that's super, I think it's super insightful as like, you know, how would you look at responding to it? I talked more broad, broadly about options and you've just given, you know, a really good way that you would tech a particular deck. In terms of Ultim and what Ultim should look like in this meta, like, do you, what do you think of the difference between the these more proactive decks and these defensive decks? Like, do you think one is better than the other? Do you think it's going to be meta dependent? Do you think it's going to be because of the evolving meta you should pick one or the other, or is it just like Ultim is flexible? Do what's best for your meta. Yeah. So when it comes to Ultim, uh, I think that I don't think the defensive decks are the best. I really don't. I think those are those are meta calls, the ones that look to potentially fatigue. I think that Ultim functions best as a value deck, right? So we saw at Worlds, it was a lot. Of, the Ultims would run Tunic, and honestly, their main play line was to play a four-cost card that does like eight-plus damage mm-hmm. off of Tunic plus Pitcher card. They would look to CNC Pummel off plus of Tunic Pummel. plus Pitcher card. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's the kind of stuff that they were looking to do, mm-hmm. and that those are value-oriented plays, and I think that that's where Ultim is suited the best, and I think that falls into the category of what you're classifying as proactive Ultim. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so I think that is the better the better list. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree. I think I would look at Ultim as a bit of a, a not a two different archetypes. I would look at it as a bit of a spectrum, and you're looking to where you want to sit on that uh, on that spectrum, depending on what you think your meta is going to look like. So, yeah, if you're expecting a lot of you know uh, Ultim mirrors based off this weekend, then yeah, I might move a little bit further away from the more proactive. Some of my red proactive cards. Maybe I was playing Crush the Week in in week one for. A, f- a potential fire meta and now i think that's going to drop away now i might move to some cards like pulverize for instance i might move into playing some staunch responses uh, i do think you still need these attack actions you know you can't just go fully defensive in the mirror i think you do need these attack actions because again you know a two card so let's look at red unmovable versus like glacial footsteps for instance right like you're going to get the the economy of scale with with the card like glacial footsteps into the late game so you do need some of these attacks but other cards that look at energy potion you know if you're looking at an icelander meter i think energy potion is, is particularly good we saw mm-hmm. i know the ultim that won uh the event in california the week before was playing energy potion i think that card is particularly good in ultim and specific meters imperial warhorn versus remembrance if you're expecting a lot of defensive dash decks to show up uh, I think Endless Winter is a card that should just be in the decks right now. It just looks really good into this current meta. Um, Endless Winter, really impressive versus a deck like Icelander too. Um, the six cost attacks in red, if they aren't already made their way into the decks, I think we're going to see Thunderquakes as well, people yeah. playing those. Uh, and then, yeah, Defense Reactions, Pulverize for Mirror was kind of the last thing I had, which we, we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. What about, I guess, any tips for playing Ultim? Some of these we already covered. Learn your matchups build for your meta don't waste cyborg slots i think that's one of the things is ultim with the 80 cards can be really really tight and if you are taking for your meta you're not just going to have spaces to to play cards that you 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 might think well i just want this card you know like i think you have to justify each of your 80 slots right now in ultim um because there's so many options to be played right now i think i'm just thinking about some cards people have played previously it's like you know having extra blues to swap out for matchups might be a bit of a luxury right now i think mm-hmm. so cards like terra sunder might start to go away because they're not particularly 
great with Winter's Whale and, you know, maybe you're not playing Sledge. I think people have moved away from Sledge. So, you know, you have to start to just really just justify exactly what your blues are, what your cards are in your, in your deck. Yeah, I would um, I would tech my ultimate deck for the mirror. And when I say tech, I think that the the ultimate list only needs like, at least in the past, right? I, I haven't played this exact version, but in the past, if an ultimate brought three more defense reactions than the other ultimate, or this is actually the case in Starvo too, had the extra staunch responses, like it was quite favored to the player that had that. Um, so I w- I mean I would be I would happily give up you know, three sideboard slots. Uh, maybe it would be those crush the weeks in order to get more equity in the, uh, in the mirror. doesn't take much. I think to be honest, you can it really does, do it. It really does little. not. It feel, it feel in the, like from what I understand from the old time mirror is that like, it doesn't take much, right? It can, it can be you know, two to three cards and <laughs> the effect can be drastic. Yeah. Pulverize in particular is huge. Uh, don't trade down on your cards. We talked a little bit about it at the start, but there's a, this feeds and just use your crown of seeds appropriately. See a lot of people when they first pick up Iceland, uh, Ultim rather, trade down on their their blues. You know they they pitching for crown every single turn. It often doesn't make sense. You know especially into a deck that is presenting you with one attack. You know going tall on you is often correct to just block with your three block, not be pitching it uh, to filter. But use your crown of seeds both proactively and and reactively. Use your your crown of seeds to make defensive plays, but also use it to make offensive plays. Like it's often quite fine to crown seeds on your own turn uh and and dig for the card or dig for a new arsenal card for instance um or dig for an attack once you've your opponents finished their turn uh because you obviously you get the two resources so if you're on your opponent's turn it's only going to prevent one damage with the crown of seeds you know or maybe two with your with your shield uh, often doing it on your own turn to use the one resource to effectively just filter your filtering and then you still have two resources left available to you to to an extra turn um, and then pick your spots to push damage. I think the other thing as well is like you're playing a mix of disruptive, disruptive cards and offensive cards. And I think you have to understand when is the right time to go after pushing damage and when is the right time to be looking to be quite defensive and find a card like Channeling Frigid or Hypothermia, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I mean, I think that's that's going to do it for looking at Ultim. Obviously, we're going to see ProQuest Season 3 start to evolve over the final two weeks. Ultim, you know, as I said, Brendan, at the start, I was definitely wrong about Ultim's position in this meta. I thought it maybe slipped to sort of that tier 1.5, bottom of tier 1. It looks like, you know, it is it is still one of the best decks in the format. The flexibility, the the current meta position, just the just how good and reliable Ice decks are right now. Uh, even Lexi, I think, had a pretty good turnout this weekend as well. So Ice decks all around did, did very well. Uh, anything to say before we, we wrap up and sign off? No, I think that's it. I mean, this is rounding out sort of our three-part series now where we looked at Phi, Icelander, and Ultim. Um, I, I think we were pretty on the mark. Uh, maybe the Phi, the Phi is the top deck. Maybe it will fade into that 1.5. But, you know, the way that these things tend to go is as the meta matures, and if Ultim looks to be the best deck, more people pop on Ultim, more people start teching for Ultim, and Ultim needs to switch up its sideboard cards and sort of be prepared for that, right? It needs to devote more cards to the mirror, devote more cards to maybe these, these Icelander lists that have adapted, and it will likely give up, you know, sometimes it will give up maybe those key cards like Hypothermia that are really good against the dash or the Fies, and that's when we could see the Fi kind of sneak back in as a top deck, because, you know, the ultimate deck does have, only have so many slots, um, and that's exactly how we've seen those two decks kind of compete in the past as the ultimes end up, they start cutting these cards. Like, the, there was a huge narrative about Oldham um, and Hypothermia, back before Worlds, and then you show up at Worlds and almost no old teams actually have it in the deck. Uh, 
So you could see the same thing happen um, during the ProQuest season, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's down to meta. Hypothermia might be incorrect in your meta. No, you know, no Briar in your meta. Um, you know, very little proactive dash. Probably don't need hypothermia in your deck, right? So again, it's it's going to be meta calls for people. Um, that card in particular is a little bit less risky, I think, because it's an ice blue. You know, it's not mm. like a, a red card that's taking up a really important red slot in your deck. But yeah, uh, massively agree. We'll we'll see what happens. The, I'm glad we covered fire because I do still think it's one of the best decks to pick up for this ProQuest season. I think it's you know if you're newer to the game and you want to pick up a, a competitive deck and head into the season, I still think fire is one of the best decks you can pick up. So um, I'm, I'm glad we did cover fire, Slander, and Ultim. That said, that's going to do it for episode 93 of Arsenal Pass. Uh, we are on Twitter. You can follow Brendan at BrendanAPG. I am at Fian underscore Dale. Big shout out to our patrons. If you do want to join the Patreon, our $4 tier, our low tier, gets you everything for this month for January. Um, Brendan has Marathon coming up, which he's been shouting out. And uh, until next week, I think that'll do it. We'll see you next one. See you